0: Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Future Tech Health podcast. I have Dr. Mark Marana. Uh We've been talking about uh, his book, The Eight-Hour Sleep Paradox, How uh, We're Sleeping Our Way to Fatigue. Um, Dr. Mark's a best-selling author and a family and sleep medicine dentist. He's been in private practice for about 30 years, focusing on uh, patient-centered and preventative dental health care. Uh, he sees people from all over the world. Uh, he's got many accolades and uh, has been around the block many times, I'm sure. So. Dr. Mark, thanks for coming.
1: Oh, Richard, thanks for having me on the show.
0: Yeah. So uh, where did your book come from? You know, what was the inspiration for writing it and why is it called the Eight-Hour Sleep Paradox?
1: As usual, it's a personal experience. Uh, How often do you hear that about authors, right? Uh, I discovered I had sleep apnea and uh, my wife as well. And, you know, we were healthy, doing well, exercising. You know, we were we weren't too overweight. Uh, we were functioning in a very stressful environment in Silicon Valley, both working, raising three kids, and then in our let's say mid 40s, um, we dropped off our first daughter um, to college, and of course that put us all in the same hotel room. And I woke up with my three daughters throwing pillows at me, going, "Dad, you were, you know, you sounded like a freight train um, right. last night." And I was like, "Oh, okay, well, that's interesting." I remember my parents snoring and my mom a little bit, you know, but my dad a lot. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. And, you know, back then snoring to me was just, it was almost funny. It was like, you know, seeing Bambi snore in, in the Disney cartoon, right? Or Popeye or all those kind of things. Um, I'm dating myself, of course. But um anyway, so uh, to make a very long story shorter, um, we had to navigate that that whole process of fixing our sleep. And and we're both healthcare professionals, and we just found it to be very frustrating, difficult to navigate, confusing for the layperson, even for us um and so uh that originally what prompted uh you know I told my daughter uh who helps me with our website, I said, "God, this is a frustrating process there's so much I've learned I would you know how do I get that out to other people and she said, well write a book, and that's how we wrote the book together and it was a one-year process, a lot of research and study and personal experiences, and and, uh, and then trying to make that more universal for other people in other countries. And so it, it really was treating my sleep apnea, my wife's sleep apnea. And I, I have to say, I, I wouldn't have been able to write the book if I hadn't been able to treat my sleep apnea because I started feeling much better. I only had mild sleep apnea, 12 interruptions per hour at night while sleeping. And, um you know, I quickly, you know, through my treatment went quicker than my wife's. Uh, I was able to, you know, become more alert, wake up earlier, feel better, focus longer. You know, I was doing a lot of research and reading. Uh, What I hadn't noticed over the years is that uh, I love reading, uh, mostly nonfiction, and research of course, but what I had noticed is that I couldn't focus as much as long. You know, I remember, you know, after I started sleeping better and, and, and then next morning being able to sit down and reading for an hour straight, with no interruption, no thought of, you know, standing up or going to the refrigerator or, you know, that kind of thing. I realized that's the way it was when I was younger. So, so it was great on all fronts, but I did want to share that with as many people as possible and well beyond, uh, you know, my patients and my practice, my private practice.
0: Yeah, no, I, my family's had experience with it too. My dad had and probably still has it and just, you know, I don't know, doesn't want to do anything about it. Um, I'm sure I had it on my back and, you know, doesn't seem like it on my sides. But, you know, once I lost some weight, then uh, it seemed to get better. But yeah, I would read and fall asleep. You know, I couldn't read more than like a, a page and I would you know, just constantly fall asleep doing that. So it's, uh, and I'm sure people have, uh, you know, suffered many more things from sleep apnea. It's uh, it's pretty pervasive, oh, yeah. it seems. Do you any any stats on oh, yeah. the um,
1: percentage oh, yeah. of people well that have it at certain ages? It's probably it depends on who you talk to. And so um generally the numbers are 19, 20%. In my practice, it's 30%. I mean, and and I've literally, you know, out of 5,000 patients, I've looked at that number and studied it. And, and I'm not sure why it's a little bit higher there. I think it's just because I'm better at diagnosing it. I see it earlier, perhaps. Uh, dentists can see sleep apnea decades before a physician can, because we look at different things. Um, we've been trained and, well, it's the oral... Oral signs and symptoms that alert us to that and um, so it, it's it's so like, very like prevalent.
0: what yeah what do um, you see that the a physician wouldn't yeah. see what happens in the mouth is it
1: yeah it's good it's is a it that you're a mouth um,
0: breather and
1: what, what happens? it's it's oh it's a, it's a I have a list um, that is in the book uh, actually the list is gotten longer that a checklist that I go through and it's it's got at least 50 60 items on it Scalloped tongue um, the tongue sits high in, in the floor of the mouth, a narrow arch. In other words, the, the, roundness of your lower arch, upper arch of teeth is narrow or V-shaped. Um, the height of the palate, the narrowness of the palate, position of the tongue, tongue tie, um, you know, tonsils swollen, but mostly in kids. We see a lot of kids not breathing well and suffering and, and, you know, their tonsils and adenoids are very large, enlarged. Um, uh, facial structure—that's uh, a big one. When I when I go to a a cocktail party, um, again I'm dating myself. Uh, when I go when I see people out in the open, it's so evident to me who is suffering uh, just based on the facial type, uh, profile, uh, frontal view, side view, development of the lower jaw. I mean, you know, and there there are other factors. And of course, I throw in all the medical what the medical doctors look for, all the comorbidities of sleep apnea. And that's my second list. I've separated into two. And then, you know, if I start seeing all those dental um, warnings of sleep apnea. And then I see, oh my God, you know, this patient's going to the bathroom a lot in the middle of the night. That's nocturia. He's got high blood pressure. He has AFib. Um, he complains of daytime sleepiness and, you know, he's depressed. I mean, th- then I throw in all the other medical stuff and, and within 15, 20 minutes of conversing with a new patient, it's pretty clear even to what degree the sleep apnea is. And that's when um I don't diagnose sleep apnea. Dentists aren't allowed to do that, but I screen for it. That's when I make the referral. And I make the referral to a sleep specialist, an MD. I work across the street from one. If they're not part of that uh, medical system, then I make sure that they're on their way. And, and uh, usually they've read the book and they understand the process. And, and that's where it gets complicated. Um, that's where you start getting pushback, although that seems to be... Uh, a little bit less than it was when I wrote the book three or four years ago. So, so yeah, uh, there are lots of things in the mouth that make it clear to me and even outside of the mouth, facial structure, as I mentioned, um, that make it clear to me that this person has an issue chapped lips, uh, uh, you know, the shape of the nose, uh, sniffling. I mean, it, it goes on and on. Um, and I've been around it for so right. long and yeah, I just, I just, I can make it a, a quick, uh, kind of, um, assumption that person's ability to breathe within usually minutes
0: what about the world of remedies seems like there's two big camps the
1: CPAP camp and then the oral appliance jaw advancement camp right um, yeah those are the two big ones Surgery's kind of behind all that we can talk about that um, so APAPs uh, CPAPs it's a positive pressure machine everyone knows everyone fears that machine they've heard about it they've seen a friend or a loved one or a family member use it travel with it um, or they've seen them use it and then throw it away or give it away. Um, it's a little box with a tube that uh, somehow you connect your airway through the nose, through the mouth, uh, something that you have to strap to your face and head. And it basically blows you up like a balloon. It prevents that airway from, it prevents the airway from collapsing. There's enough positive pressure being pushed down inside of your esophagus, you know, towards the lungs and, and pass the airway that that airway will not collapse and, and you will not wake up because your body doesn't think you're suffocating. The oral appliance, which has been around, well, the APAP, CPAP, APAP is an automatic CPAP. CPAP is the continuous pressure, um, device. Um, that's was, I think, invented in late, uh, early sixties, maybe sixty five. The oral appliance actually has been around a little bit longer than that, but it was more of an orthodontic uh, device. And now it has come back into favor Uh, for a while. There are a lot of physicians and even dentists thought it was causing TMJ and that it wasn't really working. But now we have studies that um, uh, support the fact that these oral appliances can be very handy, especially if the CPAP compliance is is very low, which it is. About 30% of people hang in there with their CPAP after uh, after the first year. And there's usually no follow-up. It's very frustrating to see that where they've gotten the diagnosis, they've got through it, they've got the solution. And then after a year or six weeks or eight weeks, it doesn't matter. Uh, they're they're running for the next decade or two with nothing. Um, so why is so those are the, the two camps? so slow, so low, would causes people to fall Um, it's out? yeah, it's um, it, it is low. Um, oral oral appliance uh, compliance. Uh, sorry, oral appliance compliance is um, it, it depends on here. Seventies, eighty percent, even I've seen as high as ninety, depending on. Who's making them and all that? So, uh, why is it so low? Um, well, I mean, think about having a tube stuck to your mouth or nose and blowing air into your lungs. It dries you out. Uh, it can predispose you to, uh, you know, lung infections. Uh, uh, you know, uh, dry mouth, uh, higher cavity rate if you don't use the humidifier. It's bulky. It's cumbersome. It's noisy. It's noisy if you're a sleep partner. You have to get used used to the noise. Um, but they keep improving them um, I always encourage people even though I'm doing an oral appliance for the for the patient I always encourage them to hang in there keep working with it make sure you have a great um, uh, a uh, provider that you know the people that uh, dispense these machines that they're working with them on getting the right face masks I even make recommendations for face masks because i I know what works and what doesn't work I've seen people struggle and and I've uh, gone on the web, and in the back of my book, we have this great reference that people love. It's a it's a URL to um, to a uh, kind of a users group of CPAP users, and actually they're the experts. It's not the people that dispense these units. It's not the doctors. It's not even the dentists. It's the people that are using them, that have successfully used them. And so I stir people there. I scan that late at night um, myself, even though I I really don't wear a CPAP, uh, but my wife did, and uh, it's just good information. So again, cumbersome difficult, uh, if you don't have insurance, expensive, um, and it's something that you have to get used to. And a lot of people, especially if they're tired, don't have the patience to really sit down and and, and be very detailed and analytical. And when they're tired, they're tired to, to make this mask fit properly. The, the good news is that there are some great advances coming in sleep, um, speaking of the future. Um, there's a next next door to me. I mean, in the in the valley, uh, we've got a company that's going to scan people's faces and 3D print the mask so that they fit better. One of the problems with these masks mm. is that they cause ulcerations and blisters. They don't fit properly. The air blows past it into your eye, dries out your eye. So that's cool. Um, there's there's a What's big the um, company that's doing the 3D printing of masks. That's I think it's called Carbon. Um, and they've, they've been doing shoes, you can scan your foot. I mean, they're, they're going to scan just about every part of the body that, that has something attached to it. You know, it could be prosthetic joints, uh, because, I mean, let's face it, there's so much variability when you're dealing with the human body. And um, so it's, it's great technology. Um, you're also going to see a lot of – part of the problem with sleep, and I write about this in a book, is that diagnosing it is difficult. That, that sleep study is, is the threshold that I referred to earlier. Um, because it's expensive and a lot of people don't like sleeping in some weird, strange room and people are coming in and out and making sure everything's glued to your face and head and, and chest, you know, these, these leads, these, um, uh, wires that are glued to you. I mean, um, people, I mean, I think the medical community assumes, oh, just come in and sleep. No, people are very particular about their sleep, especially people that are very tired. They lock the door, they have, uh, maybe a lights on, um, I mean, sleep is a very individual thing and we all kind of have our little phobias about sleep. And so that's where the revolution is going to come. We're going to get, instead of a $3,000 test, um, sleep test that's done in some weird clinic or hospital, we're, we're going to be barraged soon. And it's already starting with these $100 to $300 tests that we can just slip on our finger, stick in our ear, wrap around our forehead, stick to our forehead, glued to our, you know upper chest little patches i mean that's coming and these tests are going to be as good if in many ways not better than the gold standard and that is this psg the polysomnography and that will be wonderful because richard there are about 80 90 of us out there that have sleep apnea that have not been diagnosed we don't even know we have it we're driving we're flying planes we're surgeons we're we're you know we're um bus drivers i mean uh, we drive our own vehicles. You know, between one and five o'clock in the afternoon, that's when we're, you know, people that don't sleep well are very dangerous on the road, on these two-way roads. Um, so it would be nice. I can't wait till that 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 wave of diagnostics um, come, and and then everyone will be able to sleep study. So uh, everyone will be able to get a sleep study, and everyone will be able to not only uh, diagnose what their situation is at any age. But we'll be able to continually verify our sleep based on, you know, if we gain Since weight that's... as we get older, sleep gets worse.
0: Since your bailiwick seems to be the oral appliance, let's let's talk about that more. So, what is it doing? It's a like a mouth guard. You're biting, and that advances your lower jaw. It pulls it forward. Is that how it works?
1: Yeah. Well, I look at it as kind of a two-stage process. Uh, when we sleep, especially on our back, but even on our slide, side side. Um, uh, our jaw falls backwards and that's for a variety of reasons. Gravity, the, the lower jaw is very dense. The mandible is like a piece of granite. It's got the tongue attached to it. So when the muscles relax as you approach deep sleep, which they all do, except for the diaphragm and the heart, of course, um, the jaw falls downwards into the pillow and with it goes the tongue and as do the muscles of the airway. They become very flaccid and they lose their tone and all of that contributes to an airway that when you breathe in, will collapse. It will, like a balloon, when you draw air through a collapsible airway, the Bernoulli effect, it will suck itself closed. And then that could happen, you could have a collapsed airway for 30, 40, 50, even 60 seconds, and then your body thinks, oh my God, we're suffocating, we can't let this happen, and it wakes you up. And that can happen up to 70, even 100 times an hour. Imagine someone waking up, for me it was 12 times an hour. Imagine someone waking up 12 times an hour. How would you feel? Uh, You'd be pretty frustrated and angry in the morning, anxious. Uh, You will not have rested. Your brain will not have healed. Um, So the oral appliance basically reverses all that. First stage is you don't necessarily have to advance the device. It's an upper and lower night guard. Everyone knows what a night guard is or a retainer. Um, They can be very thin. They can be a little thicker. They can be thermoplastic. They can adjust to body temperature. They can have metal pieces in it. It can be all plastic or acrylic. It comes in so many different versions and forms. Um, and then the devices are connected together via struts or bands, and when you lie down and the muscles let go of the mandible, the lower jaw, and you're relaxing and you're going into deep sleep, the jaw doesn't fall back because it's being suspended or pushed back, pushed upwards with these struts or suspended by the straps. And uh, so that's the first stage. In other words, I have a lot of patients that, you know, they may only have five or eight interruptions per hour, they're healthy, they're thin, but they want to sleep better, so what we do is we just support the jaw. We don't advance them. Those devices can be advanced, which makes it a little bit more complicated. But for those people that are borderline, all we do is give them this device. You know, we deliver it, we take impressions, we scan their teeth, um, we have to adjust it maybe a few times, and then they wear this at night. And every time they go to sleep, the jaw stays where it is. It doesn't fall back. The more radical or the more the more classical way these things work is that we actually advance the patient. So they may have an obstruction just in a normal jaw position and by advancing the mandible forwards or upwards if you're lying on your back um, the tongue gets out of the way and typically you can um, keep that airway open without blowing a lot of air inside the patient um, and then sometimes we do an oral appliance with the cpap that's actually one of my favorite therapies because the CPAP can be turned way down the oral appliance doesn't need to be advanced that great so you're taking advantage of both technologies but you're not pushing the limits on each of those devices uh, or technologies and that sometimes works very well for people so oral appliance basically is a it's like a it's like a stent or it's a, it, it basically keeps your arteries from collapsing in your heart you know your coronary arteries it's, it's that kind of concept pretty cool
0: so is it the is, is it because it's a, are you biting it or it just sits in
1: your mouth like yeah, you have it just to exert in mouth. it's just energy to bite it yeah. or how does it work? No, no, we definitely don't want to do that because if we, if, if that was the case, then when you went to sleep, you know, you would become paralyzed and, you know, you, you would, your muscles stop working and, and so it wouldn't work. Uh, no, you can, you snap it into place. I mean, I put mine in in the dark. I, I think nothing of it. It's, it's like putting on a pair of sandals, you know, flip flops. Uh, it's just an automatic thing. It takes a second to do and maybe two seconds to remove. And um, and it's very comfortable once you get used to it. I mean, most people, if they've worn a retainer or a night guard, which a lot of people have, then this is very second nature. It's not a problem. For people that haven't worn anything in their mouth and they're breathing through their mouth, they can't breathe through their nose, they have a gag reflex, it can be difficult at first because of the bulk and the, the, the material that's in there. And, but it's a very relaxed, passive thing. Once you snap it in, your upper and lower arches have snapped into these little night guards. Uh, These yeah these little U-shaped devices and you've got the strut there and you just basically let go of your face you just kind of relax and the jaw does not fall back Um, so it's a very passive state.
0: Well, can you breathe through your mouth with these uh, mouth guard pieces
1: or do you have to breathe through your nose? Well, that's a really good question actually. Very few people ask that. Um, So, I mean, the short answer is we want people to breathe through the nose, but let me explain. So, you can make a device that is open in front that has a little cannula or an airway or a tube or the patient's mouth will fall open and they can breathe through their mouth. Yes. Um, And that, and that is a necessity because I have a lot of patients that can't breathe through their nose. However, for the patients that can't breathe through their nose, I'm actively getting them to fix that because a CPAP or an oral appliance or both, the efficacy of those uh, therapies, those modalities are much higher uh, if the patient can breathe through their nose. So we do I mean, I ask patients if they can breathe through the nose to tape their lips shut. First, they put their oral appliance in, their jaw slightly forward, or it's being supported. Then, and this is what I do, then I tape my mouth. Uh, sorry, I tape my lips closed again, very passively. If I were to open, the tape would would peel off, and that forces me to breathe through my nose, which actually, and I can measure this using wearables. I mean, some I have a oral ring, but I can other devices pick up on this too, especially the pulse boxes. Um, the ones that measure oxygen in your blood, I can literally see the difference between my mouth being taped all night long and not being taped. Even though I'm a good nose breather, my mouth will inevitably fall open at night, I have my device in there, and my breathing rate and my respiratory rate and my resting heart rate will slightly go up. And that's not what you want when you're you know, sleeping. You want everything to, all those stats to drop. You want your heart rate variability to go up. You want your body temperature to drop. Um, So it's breathing through your nose is crucial, whether or not you wear a device, whether or not you have an oral appliance or a CPAP. But your question is interesting because a lot of people that need the device, it will help them, um, the oral appliance, but their nose is blocked. Well, temporarily, I would say that's okay. Let's get you the device. Let's get you breathing with your mouth open. But to really optimize things, you have to refer that patient to an ear, nose, and throat and get them... Able to breathe through the nose. It may just be myofunctional therapy. It could be many things, but typically it's a surgery that has to be done. So, so, um, yeah, you can, you can, you can talk with these things in place. It's kind of like the British bulldog kind of talk. And, um, you can take medication. You can drink water, depending on the device. Some are kind of locked in front. I don't like those devices where you can't move your mandible. You're kind of locked into position. You can yawn. You can, yell out you can talk in your sleep with these devices and you can breathe through your mouth if you want
0: over time um, you know if they're advancing your jaw or even holding it in place wouldn't that change the structure of your face as your muscles uh, are put in a different position for you know eight hours a day or a night
1: yeah so that is uh, both the CPAP and the oral appliance uh, have side effects um, it wouldn't necessarily change the shape of your face uh, unless you had like a very retrognathic face um, Again, remember, I think I told you earlier, um, that this device was around much earlier than the CPAP, but it was around as a orthodontic device. It was designed to pull the jaw forward and downwards to help the development, facial development of a child. So again, an orthodontic uh, device. It was called the Herbst appliance. Um, what it does is it could change your bite. Um, and sometimes it can improve it. I mean, I had a class two bite, which is slightly retronathic, receded, you know, chin. And it actually improved my profile. Um, and, um, you know, sometimes patients will wake up with their bite. Their bite will be off in the morning. What we're essentially doing is, and one thing I did not mention earlier is that most people, one of the early signs, dental signs of sleep apnea is grinding or bruxism. It's not clearly understood. And, and at least in 50, 60% of the cases, um, patients, I think it's greater than that. But um, patients that grind their teeth, brux their teeth, sleep bruxism, it's called now, grinding at night. Those that's a sign that they're struggling for air at night and their airways collapsing. Those people have also mild facial issues, morning headaches. Their muscles of mastication are worn out. They can't keep their mouth open for a long period of time uh, at the dentist because they're cramping. The tired are so. The muscles are so tired, grinding all night. These are all signs that we look for. Um, those people, um, you know, they they can't. Uh, the device is is undoing decades of grinding. So, you know, you can't get into that tight position where the muscle, the masseter muscle closes tightly because the device has you more forward. So we're undoing a lot of, you know, hypertrophy, adhesions in the muscle. Um, and it's almost like you're stretching out your calf muscle kind of thing. So that, that can, it, it doesn't change facial structure, but it does change the mechanics of chewing for a short period of time in the morning. But if you wear this thing long enough and the majority of us that do wear these devices, once we're used to it, we basically have two positions. We go back and forth between the two positions. Um, that forward position at night in the morning, within minutes, we're back to our centric or seated position where our teeth meet properly and we can choose. So, but some people don't. Some people stay in that, in that zone where, you know, they love their device. They're addicted to it. They can't sleep without it. They won't wear an APAP or CPAP and then their bite is kind of off until until noon or one or even two o'clock and and i went through that in the early phases of wearing my device and it doesn't happen to me anymore occasionally it will if i sleep in If i sleep more than seven or eight hours i don't normally sleep i usually sleep under seven hours and um and you know so that that's a problem but the good news with that i find and this is just a personal reflection on it is that with intermittent fasting i don't i try and narrow my eating window now so i i don't eat till noon anyway so it works. It's fine. I don't need to, I don't need to be able to have a tight bite uh, until noon. <laughs> so, so I eat uh, lunch, big lunch, light dinner before six, and I'm done. So, so that, that works in that regard. Um, it doesn't, you know, solve the problem for everyone, of course, but, yeah. but yeah, you can, there are muscular changes, some bite changes, sometimes permanent, nothing serious. And the other thing that people ask about is TMJ, you know, what if I have TMJ, TMD? Um, you know, that's clicking and pain in the joint to uh, dislocate a, a kind of a damage to the meniscus, the pad that allows us to move properly, that jaw joint and, and dislocate the jaw. It's one of the few, it's the only jaw in the body where we can literally just pop it out and move it forward. That's why we're able to keep it and uh, slide it forwards for sleep. Um, that's a complicated mechanism and often it can go wrong. Most of the time it will go wrong if someone's grinding their whole life because of sleep apnea a nutshell, if you have TMJ, TMD, don't not think that you can get an oral appliance. Sometimes, actually often, an oral appliance will undo that and take away a lot of the pain that the patient's experiencing with TMJ.
0: So, you know, when patients come to see you, are they having sleep problems and therefore they come to see you? I mean, do people think a dentist can help them with sleep problems or only a sleep sleep doctor? So, Or do right. people come well, to I... you for normal checkups and you say, "Yeah, eh, wait a minute, this is going on?
1: Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, back in the early days, uh, you know, I that wasn't the case. Now, I mean, I have people come from all over the world. Um, you know, I have physicians that come see me, you know, that in their backyard, in their own university, they've got a sleep clinic. And so I'm handling a lot of very difficult cases, cases that haven't responded. And so I've, I I get those patients now. And, and And that's a lot of fun, very challenging and makes it very interesting. But the bulk of my practice, I'm still a general dentist. Uh, everyone gets screened. Um, last, uh, month, actually the last two months, we, we had over 30 new patients. Every single one of those patients, even the one and two year olds and the four year olds and the eight year olds, they all get screened for sleep apnea. That's just the way I've set up my practice because, you know, 10, 12 years ago, I realized, gosh, you know, I can see this. I can do something about it. And I'm just shocked back then. I was shocked at how many people didn't know they have sleep apnea. And they're seeing their physicians i mean they're seeing they have seen other dentists uh they're even know they even know that they're tired they've been told that they snore but so I, i'm still a general dentist um people come in for a cavity and or, or they need a crown or root canal and then on that day typically when i first see them it's like they also know that they have sleep apnea and you know some of them are really bummed and and i even have patients tell me you know my long-time patients they give me a hard time in fact this happened last month uh I got a referral of a family from another family that we've known for a while. And, you know, they were very pleased and we went through a lot. And, of course, a lot of them had sleep apnea. And and then she kind of looked at me and said, you know what? The people that the family that referred us, they said that everyone has sleep apnea in your practice. And I laughed. My staff did, too, because it's 30 percent. It's about 30 percent. It seems that way because we are very focused on this. We are screening everyone. We don't want anyone not to have a chance to fix their sleep if there's a problem. So. That
0: answers the question. Well, uh, the question is: Do people think mm, I better go see a dentist because I'm I'm tired all the time and I have daytime sleepiness, or do they think, oh, I need to go see a sleep doctor? I mean, do people right. just incidentally? Is it pointed out incidentally by a dentist, or is it, mm-hmm. uh, you know, again, well, or is true. it accidentally yeah. pointed? Out?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I think back ten years ago, no one thought. To see their dentist. Um, I think today it's changing. Um, you know, a lot of dentists like me are talking about this and treating it, and and uh, we've got organizations like the American Academy of Dental Sleep Medicine, which is a group of doctors and dentists that are collaborating on this and working together as a team, which is the way it should be. Um, but here's the thing. Um, okay, so people now are thinking, okay, maybe I will go see my dentist. But the thing, the important thing to remember is. Who do you see? Most people in this country see their dentist twice, maybe three or four times a year. How often do you see how often do you see your primary care physician? And so we we have that that luxury, not the luxury, but we have this great opportunity as dentists because we have loyal patients, we see them more often. We have so many opportunities to give them nutritional advice, sleep advice, um, you know, kind of that overall systemic uh what happens in the mouth happens in the body oral microbiome, feeding the gut microbiome. I mean, these are all the new frontiers of functional medicine, uh, including sleep. And we, we have a great opportunity here, if we're trained properly, to not take over the physicians. We're not, we're, we're not trying to do that. But people use their dental insurance more often than they do their medical insurance. The deductibles are way lower. People wait till it's too late to see their physician sometimes where they've been seeing their dentist on a regular basis. So instead of just drilling and filling, and doing those kind of things we really as a profession dentistry we really have this great opportunity now and in the future to be so much more than just a drill and fill you know kind of tooth carpenter you've heard all those terms right um so so that's the thing it's i don't know i think patients now are seeing dentists as more of an all-rounder in terms of healthcare especially in sleep um i think you'll see more of that With the gut microbiome, uh, dysbiosis in the mouth. These are all new terms, oral posture, um, you know, facial development, getting our kids to grow up properly so they don't have airway issues. There's a lot more going on in dentistry. It's very, very exciting. So I think patients are getting it, but the frustration is that not all dentists are up to speed. So the patients get frustrated. It's like, which dentist can do this? And so I see, I see a lot of that. So.
0: How does someone end up with a CPAP versus an oral appliance or vice versa? I mean, is it just luck of the Irish or, you know, like if I go and have a sleep, you know, if I go to you and you say, oh, it looks like you have sleep apnea, you can't diagnose, you got to go do a sleep study. They go do it. Then what? You know, how do I get uh, pushed to one item or another?
1: How do I, who makes the decision? Yeah. It's not arbitrary and it's not up to me to make that decision. uh, Although I've already made that decision to some extent, but, uh, as a dentist, I always refer to the sleep doc. Um, that's very important. Um, and if they have severe sleep apnea, there are three categories. There's mild, moderate, and severe. Mild and moderate. Typically, we've all been trained, physicians and the dentist, that an oral appliance may work. Although even for me, that's not enough information. I can get into that later if you want. But, um, but if it's severe sleep apnea, let's see if you have more than like 25 or 30 interruptions per hour, uh there's no sleep doc that's going to write a prescription for a, a sleep uh for an oral appliance. Um I have treated people that have give completely given up on the CPAP oral, uh, on the CPAP. Um and so I have treated people that have AHIs of 70 or 80. We've gotten them down to 19 and and then my my ploy there is to get them back on to an APAP because remember I mentioned earlier that the two together seem to work very well and that has worked well. Um, but you know, that's, that's something where you have to have the patient sign the treatment record saying, listen, you know, you've said that you're not going to wear an oral, oral uh, CPAP. We're going to try the oral appliance, but it is not the end all. Um, and it's usually, uh, hopefully heading to wearing both together. So, so it's not arbitrary. There are, there are things that, that I look for. I, I like to do what's called a modified Mueller's maneuver. That's where the ENT sends a camera down through the nose into the into the airway, above the airway. And I like to preview what that thrusting of the jaw does. If the airway opens in that movement, then we know that the constriction of the airway is high up, uh, nasal pharynx, oral pharynx. But if it doesn't, if that thrusting doesn't do anything to that little airway, which is sometimes the size of a tapioca straw. I mean, that's the diameter of the airway. It's frightening when you think about it. Um, if it doesn't change anything, then I don't want to waste the patient's time have them go through all the adjustment phases of the oral appliance and sometimes have to pay out of pocket, you know, three, $4,000 from oral appliance um, if it's not going to work. So, so it's not arbitrary. There, there isn't, you know, it's not either this or that, and we don't want the patient to choose because they always choose the oral appliance over the CPAP and that's not necessarily a good thing. So there are kind of rules and parameters and, and protocols that, that guide us into where, where this patient should be or how they should be treated. I I just
0: wondered uh, again how someone makes that decision. So okay, that makes that makes more sense. Well, very good. So what's the best way for people to get your book? Is it on Amazon? Is it available everywhere? And and then if they want to see you, you know, how do they see you?
1: Well, um, I, I would start with the book, um, and because uh, it's just a four and a half hour, five hour read, uh, it was designed for people that are tired <laughs> to read. Lots of bullet points and easy, uh, just a quick way to 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 make an assessment, a self assessment of you know whether you should get a sleep study or not. Um, so that's on Amazon. Just type in my last name or type in Eight Hour Sleep Paradox. Uh, uh, give it a quick read. And I always recommend, you know, read it. Read it once, read it twice. Uh, maybe take a, uh, make a copy of the bullet list that you've checked off and then give it to someone else that you think needs it. Um, and then you can always find me and, and send me an email if you want, if you, by going to our website and that is um, askthedentist.com and uh there you'll find lots of information on sleep, references to the book, uh links to the book, and also lots of other dental stuff. Lots of exciting stuff that's coming. Uh new sleep tests, um you know the whole oral microbiome, how it it connects to the gut microbiome, which is getting its final due. It's uh it's uh it's no it's a lot of attention now to how that affects our overall health and and the mouth is tied into that just completely and totally. It's it's amazing. So just those two, uh, Amazon, Brihenna, type in Berhena to get the book, and then the, the website, askthedentist.com. All right. Well, very good. Well, Dr. Mark, thank you for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. Great. Great. Thank you. Thanks for having me on the show. I enjoyed it.
0: You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs.